Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to another episode of Ringside Rewind. I'm your host, Chris Ray, a.k.a. Snaggle J. And as always, my tag team partner, the best in the business, the man himself, Mr. Chris Doyle. What's going on, buddy? Oh, just another day in paradise. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere. And glad to be looking at WrestleMania 30 and specifically Daniel Bryan's Yeslemania. That's right. We're getting into WrestleMania season here as we turn the, the calendar over to, you know, the middle of March and getting into the spring. You know, we're getting into, we're going to have some WrestleMania themed episodes, I think, probably over the next three or four here as we take a look at some of the, the best WrestleMania matches of all time. And I'll tell you what, WrestleMania 30. In little, in little known circles, also known as WrestleMania XXX, uh, <laughs> quite the show, quite the time in WWE. Again, the Yeslemania, the Yes movement, the push from the WWE universe to to thrust Daniel Bryan into the spotlight, and of course, we have the Authority all along the way trying to stop it. But before we get to the main WrestleMania show, and what we're here to talk about today. Let's take a look at what's going on right now, and Chris is going to kick us off with some dark matches. Thank you very much, Snaggle. Let's kick it off basically as a look back at our last dark matches from our last episode when we talked about uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling and their crazy amount of shows that they've done so far in uh, 2021. And they've actually added to both the injury counter and the number of shows that have occurred. Uh, Dave Meltzer has reported in this week's Wrestling Observer newsletter that Okada uh, has been clear, has been kept out of the main events and heavyweight title scene due to injuries, including two slipped discs in his lower back. So he's been working a lot of tags, a lot of uh, lower matches in the cards. As a matter of fact, as we tape this, the big news today, uh, Okada knocked out of the first round of the New Japan Cup by Shingo Takagi. So uh, he'll be taking the rest of the New Japan Cup off. Uh, as for adding shows, we have uh, picked up two more super shows in May, in addition to the two super shows they already had at the beginning of the month. Uh, Wrestling Dokatu is a two-night show. Uh, that'll be taking place on the 3rd and 4th. And then we go to Wrestle Grand Slam on May 15th. That's going to be at uh, the baseball stadium in Yokohama. And then surprisingly, on May 29th, back to the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan, for another Wrestle Grand Slam. So some injuries at the top of the card for NJPW, but they are just pushing along along with the action in Japan and in the USA as they run New Japan Cup USA as well. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it 2 weeks ago. Uh they're playing with fire. They they you know, they're they're ramping this up really quickly. Uh you know, really trying to get their business back on track. Um and like we said, they're playing with fire. And I mean, when you start seeing some of the bigger names, some of the bigger draws like Okada you know, missing shows or uh, not playing as prominent of a role on a show because of an injury, 
I mean, it, it kind of defeats the purpose. You know, when, when you start losing guys that people are going to pay to see or pay to watch on pay-per-view, um, it defeats the purpose of running all these extra shows. I mean, every other weekend in May to run a, a large-scale show? It, this is a recipe for big-time disaster for New Japan. Um, I hope it doesn't go that way. But again, they're, they are definitely uh, putting their hand over the fire here. Exactly. We have also received uh, some information as to what WrestleMania week is going to look like uh, as it comes to the WWE Network. Uh, according to the cancellation page, uh, a lot of people are going to cancel the network to set up for their uh, move to Peacock in the States. Um, and when you go to that, you get a listing of the upcoming cards uh, for the coming little bit. Uh, so we'll have starting on April 5th is the Raw Go Home Show for WrestleMania. On Wednesday will be the NXT Go Home Show. The little piece of news that we did receive is that on April 8th, the following night, it will be NXT TakeOver. And there is has uh, been some uh, rumors out there that the uh, byline for that TakeOver will be Stand and Deliver. Uh, on Friday night, we'll have the SmackDown Go Home Show, uh, and then two nights of WrestleMania on the 10th and 11th, followed by the Raw after WrestleMania on the 12th. Now, all of these cards, by it looks like, um, the Raw show will, and the SmackDown show will be at the Thunderdome. NXT's Go Home Show will be at the CWC, but TakeOver may be occurring with fans in attendance in Tampa Bay. So, and there's another piece after this, but just taking this part out, we are talking a lot of WWE programming in a little over a week. Yeah, so here's the thing is, in terms of your first point, which is locations, um, WWE has until April 8th to get out of Tropicana Field. Um, Tropicana, the, the Rays' first home game is on the 9th. So you would assume they would like WWE out of there by the 8th, which is the Thursday, in order to, you know, get things, you know, cleaned up and turned over for a switch back to baseball. Um, so in terms of that, it's kind of a perfect storm for WWE to kind of have raw you know, on the Monday, and then you're not really sure what you're going to do with SmackDown unless you're going to tape SmackDown on like a Wednesday or a Thursday before you unpack the Thunderdome. Um, hard to say, but the weekend's kind of lining up is not a coincidence here. Um, but man, this is a lot of wrestling in in uh, eight-day span. And then you look at the possibility, the rumors being true, of NXT moving to Tuesday right after WrestleMania. Uh, which is a whole other animal in and of itself. I mean, you know, this is an exciting time. It's a lot of wrestling in a, in a week and a few days uh, to ingest, especially when you look at uh, the state of Monday Night Raw right now just being not very good, in my opinion. Um, NXT continues to be great. SmackDown continues to be uh, above where it has been, you know, mostly because of Roman Reigns, but... Um, yeah, a lot of wrestling. WrestleMania being two nights again. 
uh, whew, I'm going to have to have the uh, the old uh, WWE Network lined up, the PVR lined up to make sure we get all of this stuff captured because there's going to be a lot of moving parts to this and a lot of things happening. I had somebody kind of give me the, a little poo-poo on the uh, NXT to Tuesday because they said, well, why would they make a big deal out of moving or moving NXT on Sportsnet to Wednesday for a Wednesday night war to then just have the live version be on Tuesday. Um, I did a little bit of looking, uh, a little bit of research on that. It looks to be that these were two deals that were done by different parts of the company. So the Sportsnet deal had nothing to do with moving USA or, or sorry, NXT on USA to Tuesday nights. That had to happen ironically because of the NHL. Because and uh, NBC Sports Network is going away, and they have the Wednesday night rivalry night with the NHL, and they need a place to put that. And the only other place NBC Universal has to do that is USA Network. NHL does not get better ratings than NXT, but is able to charge higher ad rates for it. So that's kind of where that goes. So we're going to be going into a Monday night Raw, Tuesday night NXT, Friday night SmackDown. And then there's two nights where they could add uh, network programming for another show. Yeah. The thing is, is that the, the Canadian deal and for Sportsnet specifically, Sportsnet does not care if NXT is live taped for them it is you know it's two hours of wrestling content and for for Sportsnet, looking at it on wednesday at 8 p.m eastern well hey that is gives rogers direct competition with bell who owns tsn who airs aew dynamite so again it, it, to to rogers this is not necessarily about hey, we want to air NXT live. It's, hey, we want wrestling to compete with wrestling. We want to be able to air NXT in that Wednesday time slot so that we can pull viewers away from TSN and pull viewers away from Dynamite. Like, again, this is not, hey, we want to air more live wrestling. It's, hey, we want to compete as a network in Canada versus, you know, the, the second biggest or biggest, depending on how you look at it, Canadian Sports Network. So, like you said, the move of NXT on the network from Wednesday to Tuesday has absolutely nothing to do with Canadian television airing NXT on Wednesday nights and, the, and that deal. Those are completely separate things. Um, one is a WWE making a calculated business decision and saying, well, in the U.S., maybe they don't want to go up against Dynamite and maybe they would rather go up, you know, on their own night or whatever, or maybe logistically it makes more sense. Who knows? To me, it looks like they're possibly getting sick of getting their butt kicked on Wednesday night. But in Canada, where ratings is a whole different animal and it's not on the network, it's not on a streaming service, it's on actual television. Uh, it's it's basically as simple as Rogers saying, hey, we want to compete with TSN on Wednesday nights. Let us run NXT at 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday so that we can go right head-to-head -head against them and see what happens. 
Another little thing to keep in the back of your mind, the 10-year deal that WWE and Rogers put together for WWE content, including being the exclusive distributor of WWE Network, comes up at the end of 2024. And those are your dark matches for this week. Keep an eye on the podcast feed for a ringside rebound. If news breaks, we'll fix it at ringsiderewind.com. Well, now let's move on to the reason why we are here. We are covering WrestleMania 30 today. Uh, it occurred April 6th, 2014, almost seven years ago from the Superdome. Yes, Hulk Hogan. It was the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. It had an, a registered attendance of 75,167. We are specifically looking at Daniel Bryan's role in the lead-up to and at WrestleMania, where finally, for the first time in what feels like eons, the WWE Universe got the WrestleMania ending that they wanted. Do you remember how close it came to this not happening? Very. I mean, it was... The the road to this was so strange. And I have a hard time remembering. And I don't think really, I think this is an unprecedented situation in WWE history where the pressure of the fans really dictated change in the booking. Because I guarantee nobody in WWE wanted to end WrestleMania 30 with Daniel Bryan holding up two belts. But the crowd willed it into existence. And you rarely see in WWE's long history of running major shows, allowing the crowd to dictate who gets the push and who wins main events. But this is really a situation where you can see along the road to WrestleMania and at WrestleMania that WWE was bending to the will of what the fans wanted. Um, and it's just, again, the the eight months kind of leading up to this and the show itself is really just a, kind of something that we've never seen before and probably might never see again in WWE history. Even with all of that said, the only reason this happened is CM Punk went home. Yeah. CM Punk got choke slammed off TV by Kane at the Royal Rumble and then went to Raw the next day and quit and hasn't been seen on WWE television since. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, CM Punk is in the match with Triple H at WrestleMania and none of this happens. Daniel Bryan's in a uh match with Sheamus at WrestleMania 30. Yeah. Yeah, it's really a perfect storm of 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 things happening. You know, again, you, like you said, you know, Punk, you know, does the old stone cold and takes his ball and goes home after what had already kind of been a sort of tumultuous few months with the company and, you know, Daniel Bryan, you know, gets the, the the crowd behind him and he ends up becoming quote unquote the guy 
and yeah, it's just it's just a fascinating, fascinating period of time because you have these guys in WWE. You know, Batista had had come back, and you know the crowd was kind of hot on him for about three and a half minutes until it became very obvious that Batista had just kind of come back between movies to get a payday. You know, you have Orton who, you know, is, is, is into the, the second decade of his WWE career at this point. And, you know, the fans are kind of bored with Orton at this point. The fans are bored with Cena. Like you're kind of this period of time. And this is before we really started to see the swell of top tier NXT talent and the big signings that came along, you know, in, in 2016, kind of starting in there and onwards. So, yeah, we're in a really weird period in WWE. And it's really like to go back and and watch some of the, the moments that happened on Raw and SmackDown and then to watch WrestleMania 30 in and of itself is just, yeah, it's just a really crazy time in WWE. All starts at SummerSlam in August of 2013. When uh, Brian starts feuding with Randy Orton and Triple H, uh, Brian wins the WWE Championship from John Cena at SummerSlam. Triple H is a special guest referee, but Triple H turns heel by attacking Brian using Orton's Money in the Bank title opportunity for the immediate title shot. Orton wins, and with Triple H claiming afterwards that it was a business decision. Because Brian does not fit the type of wrestler the company is looking for. This is the invention of the term B plus player. <laughs> Man, I hate the authority so much. I really do. And I mean, that's the point of it, right? The point of the authority was to was to hate them. And one thing I really... A, a lot of people crap on this angle from the get-go. That it's you know, a lot of rehash of what they did in the, the mid to late nineties with Vince and, and Stone Cold, but Triple H and Stephanie are not Vince and Daniel Bryan is not Stone Cold Steve Austin. This was again, yes, you're using a similar sort of, you know, angle with, you know, the authority figures being big heels and, and trying to hold down, you know, a fan favorite from being in the title picture and putting obstacles in his way. But like, the difference with this was that you really, for you know, starting at SummerSlam and the things that happened afterwards, it was painfully obvious that you felt like the authority, this was, they were actually going to win and they were actually going to keep Daniel Bryan down. You know, over the next, you know, few months, um, they kept sabotaging any attempts that he made to try to get the championship back. Um, you know, it, it's just, again, this was like a lot of people who say, oh, this is basically just, you know, them trying to recreate Austin and McMahon. It's yeah, sure. There's some underlying tones that are the same, but this was very, very different because the, the David versus Goliath was, was so much more pronounced in this case where you really felt like. Daniel Bryan was just not going to be able to overcome the authority. Um, I watched it in, uh, as part of the show, they did once again, one of the greatest recap packages that WWE has done, which is the version of uh, the triple H Daniel Bryan going into the match 
with monster uh imagine dragons i think mm-hmm. is the band um and it amazes me and one of my favorite shots in that is going into i believe it was no it was tlc where they had the two championships and they did the championship ascension ceremony where everyone who was ever a, a world or heavyweight champion was in the ring and the fans completely took it over chanting for Daniel Bryan to the point where it looked like it, it legitimately angered Stephanie and confused Triple H and did not help that Mark Henry had a smile on his face from ear to ear and hauled Bryan's arm up as if to say, yeah, we know. So, so I was going to ask you now that you brought that up, there's no way the Mark Henry part was scripted, right? Like that they went out there saying, Hey, like if the crowd starts to get over on Daniel Bryan, like milk it up because Mark Henry throws his arm up in the air and then he drops it and he does the throat slash. Like that's enough. And yeah, again, this is just one of those situations, man, where, you know, and whether it was by design or whether it was by fluke, the actions that anytime you put a good guy versus bad guy or bad authority storyline, the whole point about it is to get people to hate the authority side and get behind the good guy side. And again, this is a situation where it worked to absolute perfection. Because look, look throughout this whole thing, this storyline and everything that has happened since you know, late 2013 for Daniel Bryan has all really occurred because, you know, the crowd got behind him and whether it's the crowd got behind him and then they put the authority figure in the way or they put the authority figure away, it doesn't really matter. It's chicken and the egg, right? But it's just, they did such a good job of getting people invested in how much they hated the authority and how much they liked Daniel Bryan. Because again, at this point, Daniel Bryan's not headed for a championship match at WrestleMania. At this point, we're still looking at CM Punk, Triple H at WrestleMania. Um, That leads us into the Royal Rumble of uh, 2014 when Batista returns. He wins the Royal Rumble and will forever be known as the Royal Rumble where the fans booed Rey Mysterio. Earlier in that night, uh, Brian faced Bray Wyatt and lost the match to Bray Wyatt. And everyone in that crowd expected Daniel to be number 30 in the Royal Rumble. So they kept chanting for it. And this is what's going to happen. Batista's in the ring. He came in in mid 20s, I believe. And then number 30 hits and it's Rey Mysterio. And they booed Rey Mysterio. <laughs> Again, right? Uh-huh. Th- that shows you how weird of a time we are in and how hot the crowd was for Daniel Bryan. I, like, I don't think Rey Mysterio has been booed ever in his wrestling career. Um, you know, he's had some bad things happen to him. You know, he got lawn darted into the side of a trailer uh, by Kevin Nash one time. But, you know, they didn't boo him for that. Like, this was... Again, this wasn't, and obviously this isn't the crowd hating Rey Mysterio. It's the crowd not getting what they wanted. And, you know, again, 
with all the stuff that had happened to Daniel Bryan, you know, when you go back and you look at what happened that night of champions where there was the quote unquote fast count and then Bryan gets stripped of the title and everything that happened, you know, it's, it's so easy to see why the crowd was on this, but poor Ray Mysterio, what a bad position to be put in. And you had like Ray, Ray's been around enough where he, you know, that he's sitting in the back waiting for his music to hit. And he just knows he's going to just eat crap. Like he's going to go, this music's going to hit. He's going to go out that curtain and it's just going to eat crap. Like somebody should have hauled him out and put the nearest heel, whether it be somebody uh, like put Bo Dallas out there or somebody, anybody other than Ray to go out there. Yeah. Um, but once again, it keeps going. Brian has, cha- has challenged Triple H to a match at WrestleMania. Triple H says, no, I, I'm not going to fight you. And then we get Occupy Raw as Brian finds a large group of fans and they refuse to leave the ring. Uh, this is causes an irate Triple H to agree to Brian's demand for a WrestleMania match involving the stipulation that if Brian won, he would be inserted into the WWE World Heavyweight Championship match at WrestleMania. A week later, Triple H is frustrated with Orton and Batista and changes the stipulation, guaranteeing the winner of him and Brian would be added to the championship match, thus assuring it to be a triple threat in the main event at WrestleMania. So this is the one part of this whole thing that I'm kind of I'm kind of down on, right? Because when you... And again, I get it, right? A lot of this would seem like it's reactionary booking to try to get, you know, Daniel Bryan shoehorned into the main event. But, you know, when when they when Triple H says, hey, like whoever wins between me and Daniel Bryan is going to, you know, Triple H is not going to win. What juice does a Triple H Orton Batista main event have in, in, in any way, shape or form, right? And I mean, you know, maybe that's kind of part of it, right? You thought... You know, after all the things that had happened, you know, what happened at SummerSlam, what happened at Night of Champions, what happened at the Rumble, what happened at Elimination Chamber, you know, where old old uh, corporate Kane rears his ugly head. Um, you kind of knew that, you know, like in your heart, you were like, OK, see, they've set this up now so Daniel Bryan can get in the main event of WrestleMania and a triple threat against Orton Batista. But in the back of your head, you're like, man. This, they're just they're going to screw him in front of seventy five thousand people in New Orleans, yeah. And Triple H, then you and have, Triple H is going to bury him. Well, yeah, because you have the the other side of it as well. That if you have Triple H, Orton, and Batista, you have Evolution implodes on the other side as well. So yeah. you've kind of have a story on both sides. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So that oh, gets yeah, oh, good. Oh, I said that gets us the build heading in to WrestleMania 30, and then we get to the show. So uh, we were talking before we started recording. There's a again, right? This is a, a obviously a milestone uh, WrestleMania for WWE. You know, it's a th- it's 30. Um, it's you know in New Orleans they they're rolling out the red carpet. You know, they kick it off with with the Hulkster. We're here in the Silver Dome, brother, which is just, I mean, Hulk, you had one job, man. 
Like you had you had one job is to come out and get the crowd hyped and then turn it over to Austin, who turns it over to Rock, and you get the name of the building wrong. Which I mean, I get right. You know, Hulk's kind of alluding to the fact that the last big moment he had had at WrestleMania. Well, that wasn't really. I was going to say WrestleMania three, but that would be discounting everything that happened at WrestleMania eighteen. But you know, then you have Austin and The Rock come out and they kind of get all you know nice to each other for half a minute and half have, a minute. You know, that thing went half an hour. <laughs> I know. I was, I was watching. I was waiting to see if you were going to jump in. I did the because I did, I did not watch the full show. I did the two matches and. I on the WWE network, I hit the start to the match and I kind of pushed it back a little bit to get the package. And I'm like, wait a minute. Let's because they always do America the Beautiful. Uh, they are, there's always something going on at the first. When the package for Daniel Bryan Triple H starts, it starts at 28 minutes. Yeah. So let's say generously, Hogan Rock. And Austin went 20 minutes. Yeah. So this is kind of in the era where we're still on the four-hour WrestleMania main show. Um, I think I think if I remember correctly, it was three hours, 54 minutes is how long the main show is on the network. So this is in the era where we're still pushing four-hour uh, manias. Thankfully, not the six- and seven-hour manias that we started getting you know, with 34 and 35. Uh, but yeah, that, listen, I mean, I get it, right? It's WrestleMania 30, Hogan, Austin, Rock, the crowd goes absolutely nuts for them. That segment went on 10 minutes longer than it had to. Um, like, you have this WrestleMania where there's a lot of memorable things that happen. Um, you know, you have the first Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Um, obviously, a- another match that we may cover at some point. Uh Brock Lesnar breaks the streak. Spoiler alert. Uh, so like, and, and you know, and then you couple that with the Daniel Bryan stuff. Um, you know, hey, we, we talked about before the show, you get the New Age Outlaws on here, uh, teaming up with Big Bad Kane uh, against the Shield. So like, there's a, like, like it's, a, overall, it was a really good WrestleMania, but yeah, the the intro was like, man, I was like, I get it. We know we get it's it's Austin and it's Rock and it's Hogan, but wrap it up. Let's get yeah, and this. This was good. the first WrestleMania on the. I think this may have been the first show on the network. Uh, I believe it was the first WrestleMania for sure. That, that might be that might be right. Um, I'm pretty sure this was the first WrestleMania because uh, in once we get into the main event, Cole and King kind of crap on people who put, paid the $55 on pay-per-view saying you could have got this for 10 bucks if you had bought the network. Yeah. So, so. The, w, the WWE network launched in the U S on February 24th of 2014. So that would have been after elimination chamber. And then I I'm, I'm assuming fast lane probably would not have been the first show, but it might've been fast lane might've been the first pay-per-view on the network. Okay. Uh, and they the did network- do an NXT takeover the day of the launch as kind of a, like, what's going to happen when we turn this thing on kind of deal. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to do some deeper research, but the network launched on February 24th in the U.S., so you would have to assume 
that fast lane probably would have been the first real pay-per-view um i would say uh, i guess it doesn't really to this day you but can this, still it buy... is just before wrestlemania right so yeah to this day you can still buy wwe pay-per-views on bell or rogers or however i honestly think if you're buying like when you hit the little red button on your remote to buy a wwe pay-per-view for 60 dollars, they should immediately come to your house and take away the remote because you yeah. obviously don't have the cognitive ability to run it because okay. if you're going to pay sixty dollars for the one show buddy pay pay that was it fifteen dollars that we pay now here in canada for yeah. the entire month on the on the network like yeah. it's just a screaming deal and i get why they do it because fools and their money blah 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 but I'm just like, I, I don't get it. I, yeah. I don't understand, but that's just me. That's right. Yeah. Well, no, I, I get it too. It's, it's a, it's a thing. Maybe you, maybe the Royal Rumble is the only pay-per-view you watch all year. And it's the only wrestling you watch all year. But it, the thing is, if, if they weren't, if, if somebody out there wasn't buying them and maybe again, maybe there's like, like, uh, like pubs and stuff that still buy just the pay-per-view hard to say but my thinking would be they wouldn't offer it if people weren't still out there dumb enough to pay 55 dollars to watch uh backlash that being said i'm a guy who if revolution had been on saturday night instead of sunday i would have dropped 55 dollars to watch AEW yeah. revolution like yeah that i'm it's it being sunday night is yeah it's all yeah. other can of worms yeah on so, the pre-show yes or... the pre-show baby for WrestleMania 30, one match. It's a fatal four-way uh, tag team elimination for the tag team championships. If you're going to have fatal four-ways, I am a big fan of elimination rules. It's the Usos uh, defeating Los Mentadors uh, and the Real Americans and Rybaxel. So that is uh, went 16 minutes in the pre-show. You know what? There's nobody really offensive in that match. I would say, you know what I mean? Even El Torito. I liked El Torito. It was, it was not the worst pre-show match I've ever seen. Let's put it that way. It was, it, it wasn't a terrible match. It did the job. It got the crowd hyped up. There was a few good spots. Um, you know, it was, you know, it, it was one of those things. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this might be, um, like, we're still in, I think this is the, like, the first run with the tag titles for the Usos coming into this. I think so. Um, you know, they had been kind of feuding a little bit with the New Age Outlaws. Um, and, and it's kind of funny because... They were feuding with the Outlaws. They lost a bunch on pay-per-view. They win the, the tag titles on Raw, just a random episode of Raw, and then they're here defending it, like, again. But this is still kind of the era where WWE booking just does not give a crap about the tag team division at all, uh, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, their tag team championship match is on the pre-show. Um, you know, it's just, it was a good match. I think it got the crowd hyped. It was, you know, a good 16 minutes of elimination. I agree with you. If you're going to have a, a multi-team uh, match, it should be of the elimination variety. 
Um, yeah, good match. You know, not great, but did the job. And then we get into uh, the first match on the actual pay-per-view. In the first one we're looking at, it's Daniel Bryan and Triple H. This one goes almost 26 minutes. And it look, it's a classic match. Uh, say what you want about Triple H. And both of us can say a lot. He did. This was a great match. This was... I, I want to say this in a way because that I don't get people yelling at me on Twitter. This is one of my favorite Triple H matches of all time. It really is. Um, you know, again, Triple H did everything he needed to do, and he looked good doing it. He's what here? 44, 45? 44 years old. Yeah, so I mean, you know, again, he he came out here. He did exactly what he needed to do, which was he got heat. He hurt Daniel Bryan. He took advantage of, of his shoulder. Um, you know, this was in terms of, you know, length. I think it was just under 26 minutes, bell to bell, 25.58. Um, it was one of the more enjoyable matches that uh, it was better than I remember it being as well. Uh, I watched this a couple days ago. Um and it was better than I remember it being. I remember it being a good match, um, but it actually ended up being better than than I thought it was going to be. You know, the size difference between the two of them uh, was was very apparent. You know, Brian's got his left shoulder all taped up. Triple H comes out with the little handshake thing in the beginning, and then Daniel Bryan kind of you know gets him with the kick and then tries to to uh, roll him up, and it doesn't work. Um, and Triple H goes out on the floor and Brian kind of puts his hand out, which, you know, the camera work there, uh, we, we, we crap on WWE's camera work a lot in current days, but the camera angle on that part was fantastic out on the side of the ring with Steph and Triple H on the left. And then Daniel Bryan in the ring on the right at a higher level with his hand out. That's the image, right? That, you know, that's the moment where people are starting to think, Hey, we're early in this match, but like, man, he could win. We could see Daniel Bryan in the in the, the championship match later. And this was a not a brawling match by any stretch of the imagination. Like these guys went back and forth with submissions, with a little bit of technical wrestling. Not to say there weren't punches and kicks thrown, mm -hmm. but like a lot of use of a crossface chicken wing. Hunter pulled out a tiger suplex, went pulled out a superplex. I mean, a sunset flip power bomb off the top rope. These are moves that knowing now what we didn't know then about Brian's condition, that every time I saw something like that, I went, ooh. Every time Hunter kicked him in the head or dropped some knees on his head or something like that, I, I'm going, ooh, because it's, you know, we're not that far away from retire we're only about a year away from retirement daniel bryan yeah yeah and this is probably and again i i don't know if i have anything super duper hardcore evidence wise to base it on this is probably the most technical match of triple h's career right in terms of 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 working a body part and you know using submissions and really just trying to wear down like again this was not something 
And, you know, part of that is, hey, Triple H recognizes he's 44 years old. He wrestles once a year. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to go out there and brawl and, you know, do high impact, high paced stuff for 26 minutes. He's going to get blown up. So you, you, you have to counteract that. But it worked so well. You never thought watching this match that it, Triple H was wrestling more technical because he was old and tired. It, it just, it was, it was how the match worked. Triple H came to Daniel Bryan's level and wrestled a technical match with many different submission maneuvers. And, and you know, you never thought, oh, well, here's another rest period, right? It just worked. It worked so well um, you know, over the course of this match as, as they kind of, you know, would ramp it up a little bit and you would get physical and you would see some of the bigger spots that they did. And then, you know, oh, then you're back to he's in the cross face again. Uh, again, it just it flowed so well throughout the course uh, of this match. You know, Brian hits those couple of Germans, which were uh, just really, really well done. Looked fantastic. Um, you know, there was the Triple H trying to hit him with the pedigree. He blocks the pedigree. Uh, it, it was, again, there's just, you could say so many things about this match, but like, honestly, if, if you have not watched this one in a long time, you, you definitely have to go fire it up and go to WrestleMania 30 and watch this opening match because it was uh, just a, a work of art. Hunter uses some knees to the temple to try to put him out. Tried another pedigree. Brian got out, kicked uh, Triple H in the head, and then hit him with a move that he had debuted at SummerSlam to beat John Cena. It was the bazooka knee uh, or the running knee strike. And that was it. Three count, one, two, three. Brian moves to the main event. Now, at the, at the end of the match, uh, we see Hunter and Stephanie having a little chat. Uh, Stephanie comes in and starts slapping the hell out of Brian. And then Triple H comes in and gets some heat back and slams a, sh a chair into Brian's left shoulder to injure that even more going in to the main event. My question to you, Snaggle, you have to pick one. Do you pick as your opening match at WrestleMania, Bret Hart Owen Hart from 10 or... Brian Triple H from 30. Uh, I'm going with the the hearts because of this because again, if you're looking at them in a vacuum, uh without the main event at WrestleMania 30, the that takes away from the opening match. And not saying that in a bad way, but I'm saying the Daniel Bryan Triple H match is enhanced even further by the storyline that that is involved there and um you know what happened later in the night and everything that had led into that but if you're talking just in terms of pure opening match uh i'm probably still gonna go owen brett and i know that might be an unpopular opinion but it's just again there's just something about that owen versus brett match that will always stand the test of time to me that may be a, a bit of a spoiler for an upcoming special episode of it Ringside Rewind. It, it, it could be. So now I'm gonna now that you asked me a question, I'm gonna ask you a question because we get through this match, right? Well, our, our good old friend Dave Meltzer gives it four and a quarter stars, which I think is maybe a little low, but we'll let's not go there. 
Do you think, in hindsight, this match would have made more sense if it was right before the main event? And then Brian has no time to recover. Like, he's there in the ring, hurt like crazy, and then Orton's music hits, and Batista's music hits, and we're... Do you think that would have added anything, taken anything away, if we would have went right from this match into the triple threat for the, for the championship? I think it takes things away. Um, I think in building that card, like, you're, you're moving up. You start them on, a, on an up. If you were to do those two things back-to-back, I don't know if the crowd could last that long for those two matches. Cause let's say like this one's 26 minutes. The main goes 23. So between entrances and everything else, you're looking at about an hour, yeah. not saying that Daniel couldn't do it, but you, I don't think you get the build. Uh, I think it le- makes less sense in a, uh, in a WrestleMania moment way as well, because you're not getting the pageantry of a WrestleMania main event. I, I agree. And I know I've seen a lot of people talk about this, you know, in, in more nerdier wrestling circles over the years, but I think when you look at it, the, the problem I would have had in hindsight was if you waited till second to last to have this match, after the Undertaker streak being broken, after John Cena and Bray Wyatt, which kind of upset the crowd to a certain extent because it's another, you know, holding Bray Wyatt down, which is a whole other topic for a whole other time. Like, I I feel like maybe the crowd would have been spent a little bit. You know, so you get this match out first, the crowd goes absolutely bananas, and and now they know we're going to have another chance to get bananas later on. I think having it out first was the right decision. I don't think I, I think you lose too much by having it later. But now that we get to later, uh, we'll run real quick through the rest of the card. Uh, the Shield, Ambrose, Reigns, and Rollins defeat Kane and the New Age Outlaws in a six-man match in under three minutes. Meh, meh, maybe the the Who's that uh, that Ambrose guy. He fell off the face of the earth, didn't he? We don't see him anymore. Ambrose, you know, he had a good run. I mean, he uh, he was out there. He won the the championship at Money in the Bank, after, you know, after saying he was going to cash in the same night he won it. And then he just, yeah, he was gone. He's gone forever. Yeah, Never no, he. I, I think he's in Mexico or something. He's he's running an orphanage with El Generico. That sounds about right. Yeah, like I don't know. I don't know what happened to that Ambrose kid. Yeah. Uh, the next uh, up was uh, Cesaro. Uh, winning the 31 Andre the Man, Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. It went 13 minutes. He last eliminated the big show. I remember seeing this and thinking, okay, so this is where we're going to strap the rocket to Cesaro. It's almost seven years later. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is where we're going to strap the rocket to Cesaro. Well, I mean, here, this was... I mean, it was an interesting, you know, idea, right? The Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. I I liked it. I liked how they kind of had it set up, you know, where they had kind of led along that, you know, Big Show was the guy to beat. 
Um, and then they kind of carried this through a couple WrestleManias until he finally won one. I can't remember which WrestleMania it was that he won, but actually I think it was the very next year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was. But the, that was the kind of the storyline through this, right? That, oh, you know, Big Show's got to win. He's the real giant of blah, blah, blah. And, oh, Cesaro wins. And, I mean, nothing really ever came out of it. Like, is he right? Cesaro at this point is a member of the Real Americans with Jack Swagger being managed by Zeb Coulter. (laughs) Yeah, enough said, right? Yeah, like, then then on the next night, he's still a member of the Real Americans with Jack Swagger being managed by Zeb Coulter. Yeah, Um, it's, 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 it's really something that you just can't care about. I mean, you look at the list of people who have won it Cesaro, Big Show. Corbin, Mojo Raleigh, Matt Hardy, Braun Strowman. Those are the, that's the list of people that have won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. It has done nothing really. Uh, I would say it probably had the biggest impact maybe for Corbin because that kind of kicked off his his heelish, you know, being better than everybody else run. Uh, did a little bit for Strowman, but like again, it's 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 a gimmick. It's not used to really better anybody it's just it's it's a match that happens and there's a giant trophy with andre on the top i was always a fan of cesaro's but i'll tell you when i became an even a bigger fan of him is and this is going to sound really weird he adam cole xavier woods and tyler breeze play uno every wednesday night on up down up up down down and the amount of personality that Cesaro shows on those Uno streams, if they could somehow let him, because I don't think it's a him thing. It's, it's them yeah. thing. Yeah. It, let him show that on SmackDown raw, wherever, like put a, again, let's put a rocket on him because yeah. the personality he shows and the strength he has and his wrestling ability is he, he is a total package and he just gets like stomped on every time. And we need, we need to start a movement and I will appeal to your West wing fandom for three seconds here, okay. but we need to start the let Cesaro be Cesaro movement. Yeah. And because I agree hundred percent Cesaro comes off as a guy who has a wealth of personality is very engaging is very relatable off of WWE programming. Yeah. And he just, again, you know, you had this real American stuff, uh, you know, then he went from that into, he was in league of nations, wasn't he? Yeah. And then he was in the, I, I did enjoy the bar. The bar yes. was kind of cool. Right. I really enjoyed the bar. I felt like, him and, and, and Seamus were, were a good tag team. They did some good stuff. I feel like that let him show a little bit of his personality. The whole, like, the you know, I, I dig the Swiss Superman gimmick. But, like, I feel like Cesaro's one of those guys that by the time WWE realizes what they have and what he could be, it's going to be too late. Exactly. A lot of respect. A lot of respect. Yeah. Um, so then we, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then we transition into 
John Cena picking up the win over Bray Wyatt. I don't even want to talk about this. I, I don't. Mean, it's 22 minutes and 25 seconds. John Cena buries Bray Wyatt. Is there really any other uh, analysis we need to do other than John Cena burying Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania 30? No, that's that that's pretty much it. And I am a huge Bray Wyatt fan. Always have been. Always will be. I like the Fiend, but I want Bray. I want Bray Wyatt back. I want the Hawaiian shirts with the little hat. We can't have the family anymore, unfortunately. But yeah, like let Cesaro be Cesaro. Let Bray Wyatt be the slick talking preacher from the swamps of Florida. If here's the only thing I will say about this match. This match to me cemented what everybody knew down in their hearts, which is that John Cena was a modern day Hulk Hogan period. End of discussion. There's no reason why Bray Wyatt needed to be buried here. There's no reason why John Cena had to be the guy to do it. This is John Cena getting the Hulk Hogan treatment and just destroying what they were building with the Wyatt family. And there's really no more to it than that. Yeah, let's wrap that up with this. Bray Wyatt heading to the ring. You know what that means. <laughs> um, we're not going to talk about Brock and Undertaker. We'll do that down the line a little bit. Uh, this The semifinal match of this is the Vicky Guerrero Invitational for the WWE Divas Championship. Let's see how many of these names that you remember, Snags. Uh, AJ Lee won, which was a shock to me, considering she was the then-girlfriend, now-wife of the dear-departed CM Punk. Uh, we have Oksana, Alicia Fox, who's still around, kinda, Brie Bella, Cameron, Emma, Eva Marie, Layla, Naomi, Natalia, Nikki Bella, Rosa Mendez, Summer Rae, and Tamina Snuka. Uh, oh, and she uh, defeated by submission. So I'm going to take that to mean that AJ beat Oksana by submission? Uh, it's hard to say because I, I, I will admit, I watched the majority of this WrestleMania. I skipped this match. Uh, for good for this, you listen he, he, again right we're we're still in this area where first of all they're still called divas and we're into you know this is before the quote-unquote women's revolution uh we're you know we're we're not we're not far that far off from it happening but this is still the era of um you know the the divas are a and i know they they really tried to buck that trend with aj lee kind of being you know an, an actual performing superstar in the ring i am again very very surprised that um you know that they put her over here but remember aj lee's title reign lasted all of 24 hours because the very next night on raw she dropped the title to Paige, who again, oh, that's right. when you're when you're talking women's revolution stuff, you know, Paige what was was she debuted from NXT the next night on Raw, she wins the title, uh, you know, so AJ Lee only had the belt for 24 hours. So 
all of that goodwill that you may think in your heart, oh man, they still put her over, even though you know she's CM Punk's significant other. Well, it didn't last very long. Yeah, and I, I AJ Lee will always have a like I will always smile when somebody brings her up for two reasons. One, I love the chucks. I I wear chucks myself in the summertime. So any wrestler who wears them, I'm all I'm in with. And second of all, she has one of my favorite lines of all time in her own little pipe bomb with Brie and Nikki and Naomi and all the total divas girls at the ring. It's when she said that wrestling talent is not sexually transmitted. Yes. That uh, was like my, oh. That was a good one. That was good. Uh, Okay. So we've made it to the main event. Uh, for Ooh. the night and uh, it is Daniel Bryan Batista and Randy Orton and it's one of my favorite Wrestlemania things it's the live band playing the theme song as Randy Orton gets that treatment with uh, Rev Theory playing voices uh, what a top five theme of all time uh, oh, come on I don't know top ten Top 10. I'll give you top 10. I think I could probably find five that are better. But I mean, see, here's the thing. Wrestling entrance music is so subjective, right? Everybody has their own tastes. I do think if if you narrowed the, the, the scope of the list to themes that best fit the performer, I definitely think Randy Orton's got a top five theme. I don't necessarily, I'm not a huge fan of the, the song itself. But it is tremendously fitting of the Randy Orton character. I will give about, you that. How about top five wrestling themes that you could conceivably hear on the radio? Oh, then, yeah, it, it's probably in that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. So Orton uh, has come out to that. Batista and Orton get right to it. And going back to Daniel being injured uh, or being injured as part of the storyline for the first little bit of this, it's really a lot of Batista and Orton. Uh, they fight off uh, Daniel throughout uh, the first part of this match. And uh, then, you know, kind of go on to one another. Uh, Daniel comes in for a couple of spots, but really kind of lays off in the first part of this match. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, Brian, he came shooting right out of the gate because he flies across the ring with that, you know, the big, giant leg but you know it, it, there is a lot of orton and batista early here i think again there's you know that underlying story that you know orton and batista former members of evolution but now they're kind of they've fallen out of favor with triple h a little bit but triple h hates daniel bryan and so you're really not sure you know were batista and orton gonna align to take or brian out right off the top but that didn't happen um, and I, I think early on in the match, I think I, I will admit the early part of this match, I really, really didn't dig. Um, just from the standpoint of it, it, it just it seemed like they were not. I don't know if they didn't spend enough time like booking 
the beginning five minutes of the match. I mean, like this is it, it's a great match when you look at the whole thing as as a as a body of work. It's amazing, but I just I feel like it kind of plotted along a little bit in the first five six minutes to where I was like, okay, let's get to let's get to some good stuff here, uh, and then all of a sudden, hey, before you know it, we're into the good stuff. That's right. Brian has gotten Orton into. Uh, the yes lock after a few minutes of being on the offensive, including Frankensteiner's off the top rope. Uh, we're getting into the uh, yes lock. And then all of a sudden here comes Stephanie McMahon and triple H and they pull out the referee, which was Mike. I can never say his name, right? Chakota, not Chakota. Kyota. Mike Kyota was the uh, referee. And then, here comes Scott Armstrong, that dirty, no good. Can't trust them Armstrong boys. As he's the uh, as the evil referee. Uh, Batista uses the Batista bomb on Brian, who kicks out. Uh, Hunter and Stephanie yell at Armstrong because he didn't count quick enough. Uh, Brian gets rid of Armstrong with a kick to the head because three ways in WWE are no DQ. Brian does a tope onto Triple H, Scott Armstrong, and Stephanie. Kinda, he he hit Triple H and Armstrong, and Stephanie kind of fell down from the breeze. <laughs> uh, was a that was a bad looking botch right there. Yeah, the camera so, angle there didn't do them any favors. Well, yeah, and I mean at that point you couldn't you couldn't hit her like yeah. he he couldn't just nail her. Yeah, you know that happened was a couple of years later. She went, Hunter put her through a table by mistake after trying to hit Batista or something along those lines. But that's a couple of years later. Yeah. Uh, Hunter pulled out the sledgehammer, but uh, Brian takes care of him by getting the sledgehammer, nailing him in the head. Stephanie's hurt her ankle. Triple H has gone to the back. So they also get rid of Armstrong, the original referee's back. And now we're kind of getting into the good stuff of this match. Yeah, so this is where things kind of start to get uh, ratcheted up a little bit, right? Orton throws the slams the steps down on Brian's shoulder. Uh, they clear out all of the announce tables, and then we get a well, uh, a very stupid moment, and then a very cool moment. The stupid moment is the CM Punk chant. This this is the one thing I hated about WWE's crowds for quite a while was the CM Punk chants. I get it. You like CM Punk, but just stop. Stop it already with the CM Punk chants. He wasn't coming back. You're watching a, a great WrestleMania main event. So right after that is where we get the combination Batista bomb RKO putting him through the table. It looked absolutely amazing. It looked brutal. Uh, and Daniel Bryan is literally laying there like he's dead. And I will say um, the one thing that I didn't remember about this match was how good Michael Cole was at calling it. Yes. Michael, this, this to me, this particular match was as close to peak JR as Michael Cole could ever get. Not, and that's not taking anything away from Michael Cole. He's been a great commentator for 20 plus years now. But this Michael Cole calling this Daniel Bryan match felt like 
peak JR calling a Stone Cold Steve Austin match. Again, to draw the kind of comparisons between, you know, the Austin McMahon story and the Daniel Bryan authority story. Michael Cole added so much to this match. And and blurring the lines between being an impartial commentator and a Daniel Bryan fan. Uh, Like, it was just, he was so great. And he did a great job, you know, after this happened of of selling how hurt Bryan was. Um, Yeah, it was just, it was really good. The whole thing was, again, that, that spot was so much better than I remember uh, remember it being. Now we get to the point where, you know, after the, the classic triple threat, right? You know, two guys work together. Well, they turn on each other. Because <laughs> talk, uh, talk, going back to that bump for a second, did you notice Orton's landing on that bump? Yeah, yeah, he uh, he landed right on uh, one of the monitors. Oh, just he's some lucky he didn't, because that could have been that could have been really bad real quick. And we talked about that a couple episodes ago, right? About, you know, during the eras where you still had the the big gray monitors clearing them off the table. Well, this is one of those circumstances where maybe he should have. Because if that, the, the thing that I'm worried about is if, if, if that did it to Randy Orton's back, imagine if he would have planted Daniel Bryan's face on that monitor. Um, you know, like it would have just been brutal. Um, but yeah, on, you know, Orton's uh, busted open on the back. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Batista, you know, says, well, listen, I, I, I got to win this now. So he attacks Orton. The The medics come out. They start putting Daniel Bryan on a stretcher as Batista and Orton are going at it. Well, all of a sudden, Daniel Bryan has his Mick Foley thrown off the hell in the cell moment. Uh, there's six guys around the the stretcher and he starts to get up starts unbuckling himself and you know all the medics are like no no you can't you can't go back he's like i'm going back and so daniel bryan gets back into the ring and then all of a sudden he just gets he gets beat uh he he gets back in um and we're back to to three-way action here yeah we're back to three-way for just a little bit um Orton hits that draping DDT on the floor, which I I'm not a fan of that, uh, of the draping DDT from that angle. Uh, Again, something that can go bad real quick. Uh, Brian puts the yes lock on Orton. Batista saves the day and then back and forth again. Uh, Batista went for spear on Orton who leapfrogged him. He nailed Brian and he hit him hard. Yeah. Uh, Brian gets taken out. Orton hits the RKO who kicked out. And then Brian comes across and hits that uh, running knee on Orton. Batista throws him out of the ring, but not in time. It was only a two count. Batista hits the bomb. Batista bomb on Orton. And when he gets up, Brian hits him with one of the best bazooka knees he's ever hit. Then he leaves Orton alone, goes after Batista, and Batista taps out to the S-lock. It is Yeslemania. It is the miracle on Bourbon Street. It is Daniel Bryan as the new WWF World Heavyweight Champion. Randy Orton away and with the championship. There's a Batista bomb. Daniel Bryan, Nina Batista, Nina Batista, Nina Batista. Come on, Bryan. Come on, Bryan. Yes, lock. Come on, Daniel. 
this to me is the uh, this is a top three last three minutes of a WrestleMania main event because you know we're, we're in the twenty minute range, right? You know, Brian's back in the ring after the whole stretcher job. They're kind of going back and forth. We've got a couple of false finishes. But the ending came from out of nowhere. Like, like when Daniel Bryan snaps Batista into the yes lock, nobody at that point thought Batista was going to tap out 10 seconds later. I don't even think it was 10 seconds. No, it wasn't long. And, and like that, like, again, like, you know, seven-year hindsight is wonderful. But I still to this day, don't remember it being that quick of a finish. Like he, you know, there, you get a couple false finishes. You got a few finishers mixed in there. You got an RKO. There's a Batista bomb. You get the big running knee. And then you just assume that this was going to be, well, he's going to lock Batista in. Orton's going to come break it up after 15 or 20 seconds of Batista almost tapping out. But no, he snaps it on for, half a dozen seconds and then he's tapping and the crowd goes absolutely berserk. Yeah. And like you just said, you know, Michael Cole utters the miracle on bourbon street and Michael Cole's going absolutely crazy on commentary and, uh, bottom line, WWE fans got the WrestleMania ending that they wanted. Yep, no, 100%. This is exactly, they didn't get in their own way on this one. They got this one right. Mm -hmm. Another thing to think of as well, and I was thinking about this as I'm watching it, and it doesn't show on the pay-per-view show, but um, as we find out later on, this is the first time that WWF fans uh, meet Connor. Um, Connor the Crusher, yeah, in the front row, the the little fellow with with the brain cancer that had become very important to a lot of people within WWE. He is still remembered to this day in the Connor's Cure charity that they are very much part of. I believe in September's of every year, it is Connor's Cure month where they do a lot of fundraising and listen you take what you want from wwe and a lot of people do and they deserve all of it but one of the things you can say is that they use their charity work for good no matter what they are getting out of it i am not blind to the fact that they are getting something out of it whether it be good PR or whatever, you know what? I don't care. They're doing something good for people. And I say people, but kids who don't have a a lot of help or hope. So the, what they can do with make a wish with special Olympics, with uh, the Connor's cure charity um, I'm a big fan of, and am glad that he got his little piece of the story. I listen, you know what? I'm not really someone who gets wound up about the PR that businesses get from doing charitable things. My requirement is if, if what that particular company is doing is 
is causing awareness and funds to flow into a charity, I don't care about the PR side of it. Again, the goal of them doing uh, the Connors Cure stuff, you know, they always used to do the Susan, I think they still do the the Susan G. Coleman Foundation stuff. Uh, you know, the other things they do, the Make-A-Wish affiliations that they've had over the years. Um, as long as awareness and and money is flowing to these charities because of what WWE is doing. I don't care about them using it as a PR tool. It's helping those charities. It's no different than, and again, I'll allude to something that I'm personally involved in, which is, you know, the extra life for kids charity, right? There are people in the community that when they see bigger gaming sites get involved who, you know, have huge followings and stuff, that they're not a big fan of it because, you know, they're using their their sway and their fan base as a PR tool. But what I look at is that those places are raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for kids' charity. That's what matters. Yeah, exactly. So you can sit there and say, well, WWE does it because it's a PR stunt. Who cares? The kid at the end of the day that's getting the help of the money that's raised doesn't care what, or to put an even finer point on it, the parents of the kid mm-hmm. who is getting the ability to do something because the money raised by those bigger entities in the gaming world. Yeah. Don't care. No. And I don't care either. Yeah. Like I, I, my number one charity is I, the IWK hospital in Halifax for us, which is the local children's hospital for us here in Atlantic Canada. Yep. And, and uh, Snaggle just not, does not want me to, you know, shower him with accomplishments and, and appreciation for it, but he works his ass off every year to give every penny that he can to help those kids. We all know somebody whose kid or your own has crossed the doors of the IWK. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, whatever happens to that, and I know we're off on a bit of a tangent here. Right. But to, I'm a big softy when it comes to kids. Yeah. I, I don't have any of my own. I have two nephews and a niece that are younger, and I have a, a couple of older ones as well. But I like knowing that, you know, maybe that year I can only afford to give $20 to Snaggles um, extra life. But I know that that $20 is there if one of the little guys has to make a trip to Halifax to the IWK. You know, the bottom line is really is that the, and I don't want to say this in terms of like trying to diminish, you know, the WWE side of it. Like, Obviously, when a company of that size engages in charitable benefits, there is a positive PR to it. Um, A lot of people make way more noise about that than they should without looking at the good that they do. And you know what? Without getting too deep into it, I mean, here's the thing. I've raised money for the IWK for the last five years. And I've... I've benefited to a certain extent from that because 
I've gotten followers on social media. I've been able to go to, uh, you know, uh, larger events in Florida, um, all because I raise money for kids. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't look at those things that it has gotten me with any more um, wide eyes than I look at the money that that we've raised. That's what matters. Um, you know, I, I am I can understand the reasons why on the network, you know, they, they've cut out some of the Connor stuff. Maybe that was a request of his family, perhaps. Um, really hard to say. Um, but I, I, do, I am a huge fan that the WWE continues to have many different charitable avenues that they take advantage of to raise awareness and funds for a variety of different causes. Exactly. And then, and all that to, to, to say when the Connor stuff does come up, cause it, it's come up again recently in Batista's 24 seven or day of, uh, for the Royal rumble of that year, he met Connor backstage. Like it, it Connor was something that who was somebody who was around. So, and I, every time I see it, I get a little teared up and I do the little bit when I see negative one on dynamite as well. That's, more of a me thing than anything else. Oh no, hundred percent. But just to put a that puts a finer point on it. Um, this was a great run for Daniel. Unfortunately, and I, I know we usually go over the aftermath of what happens going through. Um, really, the big end of the of of the aftermath of this happens on May twelfth. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is due to injuries that Brian would have to have neck surgery. Um, he underwent that on May 15th. He was stripped of the heavyweight championship on June 9th by the authority. Um, he was not on TV for about a year. He came back, won the intercontinental title at WrestleMania the following year, and then had to retire due to concussions before coming back. A few years later. Yeah, really. That's just the aftermath. A, that yeah. Happens. Yeah, just a sad. And, and you're right. You know, you could look at what happened immediately afterwards. But really, the, the aftermath is, um, unfortunately, you know, the health got into Andrew Brian's way. And it's, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened, you know, since then. You know, he got hurt. He came back. He got hurt again. He was the GM. He's back again now. Um, seems to be in pretty good health, but you know, it's really unfortunate that this particular run was completely derailed by his health. Ken, um, I'm going to ask you a question that I don't know if we can really give the answer to. Do you think Daniel Bryan, Edge, Christian, who are all on the no touch? not happening less. Do they get cleared to come back if AEW is not on the table? I would like to think that WWE has a high enough integrity level that the health of their superstars is more important than ratings. I do think 
that WWE was more aggressive in pursuing Daniel Bryan and Edge for comebacks because of AEW. But I don't necessarily think that the AEW existence would change the medical side of things. I still think AEW or not, if Edge was unable to get clearance to wrestle, he would not be wrestling. And the reason, one of the reasons I say that is because, and it's come out in WWE programming, Edge talked to Tony Khan. And for a very long time, it was, you're not getting cleared, you're not getting cleared. Edge is no longer under contract. Edge talks to Tony Khan and gets a very lucrative deal. And out of appreciation for what Vince has done for his career, goes to Vince and says, this is what they've offered me. I'm going to go. I'm giving you this chance. And then he gets the WWE doctors clear him. Daniel Bryan's contract was coming up and he was going to leave because he had his own doctors multiple times clear him. It was the WWE doctors that wouldn't clear him for liability reasons. That when his contract was finally coming up and he's saying, guys, I'm gone. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there and I'm going to wrestle. It was then it kind of came to, we then he got cleared. Yeah. Again, I'd like to think that AEW didn't play a role in these guys getting their clearance, but I, I, I definitely think that WWE became more invested in getting them cleared and getting them back on TV in prominent ways because of AEW. And I would like to hope that maybe that just means that they were more active in these guys getting the rehabilitation that they needed, getting the procedures that they needed, um, you know, finding ways to work around whatever ailments they had. Again, maybe that's naive of me to think that, oh, yeah, no, like, you know, if if AEW didn't exist, these guys would still be on the shelf. And that the doctors, you know, pulled a fast one because, hey, we got to keep these guys off of dynamite. but. I definitely 100% at the very least think that WWE would have been more aggressive in wanting to get Daniel Bryan back on TV, wanting to get Edge back on TV to, to combat A, them going to AEW, and B, AEW's surging um, you know, in, in terms of their fan base. Well, that's what we think. What do you think? Let us know on our webpage. At ringsiderewind.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash ringside rewind. And uh, we are also on Twitter at ringside rewind. I am on there at CD Lawrence. And I am on there at Snaggle J. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for lending us your ear holes uh, on anchor.fm slash ringside rewind or ringside rewind.com or your podcast app of choice on Android or iOS. We appreciate you listening to the show. Let us know what you think. Reach out to us on social media. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with a brand new episode of Ringside Rewind. And until then, 
be kind and rewind.